You've been sitting for a little bit, so let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, reading about 15 verses here this morning. So follow along in your Bibles if you have that, or it'll be on the screen for you as I read out loud. Picking up in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. What we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia... For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth and generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and indeed beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And then chapter nine, just the next chapter over, pick it up in verse six, it says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving. To God. This ends the reading of God's word. Praise be to the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we've been looking at the, um, the blessings of God and the blessing of his grace and that God has called us as his people to participate in making his blessings flow to the ends of the earth. And wherever the curse is found, that we are to take the blessings of God there. We looked at the scope. Where do we take the blessings of God? To the nations. That God longs for all peoples, every tribe, tongue, and nation to come in and worship the Lord. We looked at prayer, praying for the blessing of God, interceding for others, that the blessing and grace of God may come to them. We looked last week at the blessing of God flowing through hospitality. And what a, a primary way in which we make God's blessings flow through this world is through our hospitality, gathering others in, gathering in so that enemies might become sons and daughters of God's. And this week, we're going to look at making blessings flow through our generosity, through our giving, through our giving. You are blessed, as we saw at the beginning of the series, you are blessed to be a blessing. I, knew, I read of one multi-multi-millionaire one guy decided that he wanted to start a ministry in which after all his vocational work, he said, I'm going to completely dedicate the rest of my life to giving my money away. So he started one of those funds where he would research different ministries that he could give money to to start, almost like a venture capitalist for, for ministries, providing the seed funds that would start ministries or help existing ministries take on massive projects around the world. And he was asked in an interview, what is your ultimate goal in this? And the man said, to bounce my last check. 
at the end of my life, at the last check that I write, that it would be bring me down to zero, zero. An uncommon generosity. That's what we want to seek in God, amongst God's people. And the church in Macedonia that Paul points to this morning is known for their uncommon generosity. Here's the background of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapter 9 where we are this morning. Paul had gone to Jerusalem and he had felt a call and compelled to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now this was kind of less some consternation amongst the Jerusalem church. The Jewish Christians, they had a hard time wrapping their minds around this idea that God's people, the, the Christian church, would be people both of Jewish ancestry and Gentiles as well. But ultimately, they got their minds around this, and they send Paul out, and they commission him for this ministry to the Gentiles. But as they do, they say, we want you just to remind them of this one thing. Don't forget the impoverished church in Jerusalem. That as they experience the grace and goodness of God, that they would then be a blessing back to us. You see, the context in which they were saying that is the Jerusalem church is under severe persecution. That the non-Christian Jews were coming after the Christian Jews and persecuting them mightily. And the Romans were doing the same thing. And so the church in Jerusalem was impoverished and hurting and persecuted. And they were in desperate need for help from wealthier areas of the Christian church. And so they geared to give. They say, give back to the Jerusalem church. And so whenever Gentiles embrace the blessings of grace in Jesus Christ, they would do two things. They would remember the poor, especially the persecuted church, and then they would extend the missionary efforts of Paul into the next towns and into more places, into more missionary journeys. And so what Paul is doing, he is now on his third missionary journey, and he's going back to some of these churches that he's planted, going to encourage them, but also to call them to give in great abundance. And he's already been to Macedonia, and now he's writing to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth had, had two things it was known for, dysfunction and wealth. Dysfunction and wealth. It was the most dysfunctional of all the churches that Paul seemed to have anything to do with, and yet they were the most wealthy. It was a, a incredibly one of the most wealthy cities in all of the known world in the ancient East at that time. And so what Paul is doing is he's seeking to incite the church in Corinth by looking, by pointing back to the church in Macedonia, to an, a people of uncommon generosity, and saying, this is what uncommon generosity looks like. This is what they believe. This is where they get their fuel to give like this. And so Paul in this passage is pointing back and calling them to uncommon generosity. And when the pastor often talks about this, you think when Paul showed up, they were super thrilled to see him in Corinth? It's like when I preach about giving, right? I can know. It's like I'm going to walk out of here. It's going to be like a Red Sea. Just avoid. Don't look at the pastor in the eye after this. We don't want him to know. Don't look at him. The preachers in Macedonia didn't have this problem, though. Do you see what, happened, what it said? 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4, they were begging us, begging us. You know what? I've had people write me emails about what they think I should preach about and give me great ideas. Hey, you should preach about adoption or you should preach about this particular issue going on ethically in our world or you should preach about, about you know, getting serious about this kind of place of righteousness in the Christian life. You know what I've never had anybody write me about? They've never said, you know what? I haven't heard, Pastor. I, would you please, 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 would you, next week, will you please preach on giving? I mean, just, I, I just feel it de the, down the depths of my heart that what, I, what we really need is another sermon on giving. But the people in Macedonia, they were begging for it, begging for it. And do you see the impact of this, ultimately what happens? 
You see, the greatest problem in the early church was the racial divide between Jew and Gentile. And one of the things that begins to break that racial divide down is because the people in Macedonia and the people in all these churches, the Gentile churches, began to send money back. You know what began happening to that racial divide? It crumbled. It crumbled. And so when we give, when we give in an uncommon way, God moves. And so Paul is pointing, pointing to a materially impoverished church, but who are uncommonly generous in order to call a wealthy church to give. Now, who are we? <laughs> I'll tell you. We are the wealthy. And so that is what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to do the same thing as Paul. I'm going to point to the uncommon generosity of an impoverished church this morning to call you a wealthy church, a rich church, a rich church to be uncommonly generous. Here's what we learn about the Macedonians and what we see in this call from Paul about generosity. First is he gives us some descriptions about uncommon generosity, about the kind of people that are uncommonly generous. Here's, first he tells us what they're not like. We see it in a number of these passages. Here's what uncommonly generous people are devoid of. They don't give out of reluctance and duty. Do you see that? They're cheerful. They don't give out of reluctance. They're not give reluctantly or even sparingly. To give sparingly means you give, but you give from a heart that actually inside really wants to hold back. There, there's, 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 there are enough external constraints and pressures to make you give something, but you don't really want to. Or you're simply giving just enough to kind of check it off the box. It's not so much the question of how much you can give. It's a question of how much can you keep and still be credited for giving. The church in Corinth is wealthy, but Paul is having to goad them with the example of the poor Macedonians because generosity is often not common amongst the prosperous. Do not think, well, one day when I'm really rich, when I finally make it financially, that's when I will be generous. That is categorically not true. There is zero correlation between wealth and generosity. You know the state in our country that gives more per capita than any other state in our country? You know who it is? The poorest, Mississippi. And the wealthier, the more wealthy the states are, guess what happens? The stingier they get. In the book, Passing the Plate, two Christian sociologists, Christian Smith and Michael Emerson, they set out to solve this question. Why is it that American Christians give away so little of their money? And here are the facts about American Christian giving. 20% of all Christians give away literally nothing, a big fat zero. Zero. On average, American Christians give away 2.9% of their income, but that includes the most generous and high-capacity givers. 72% of Christians give away less than 2% of their income, which means three out of the four people sitting here most likely give away less than 2% of their income. Now, that's us because we are the rich, often. But he calls us, listen, don't give sparingly, but also don't give under compulsion. Don't, don't give because the pastor reads some stats and you go, you know, now I feel really guilty. We should give more. Ugh, we, we should do. No, we don't give out of compulsion and duty. What are the two primary ways in which we give people to give? One is guilt. We, give, we have guilt, right? Isn't this the vacillation that we often go about where one time we have, to, we have to confess, we sit before the Lord, we go, I don't give because I'm a materialist because of my wealth, because I want more and more stuff. But then ugh, I feel guilty, and then I'm a legalist suddenly. And so no matter what I give, I feel guilty all the time because there's always more needs to give to. 
And so what do we do? In order to get people, to separate people from their money, what do we do? We put commercials up with sad puppy dogs that are wet and shivering, and we play Sarah McLaughlin music behind that, 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 at the pad, those commercials, and we try to guilt the money right out of you. What's the other way in which we get people to give? We compel them through what? Taxation. That is what taxation is. It is compelled giving. We should give not under compulsion, but what taxation is, is you are being forced at the tip of the IRS spear. Gifts coming under some sense of external compulsion will never be wholehearted giving. It will never meet the standard that God gives. But what is uncommon generosity? The descriptions of it is not people who are stingy with their money or who only give reluctantly or out of guilt and duty, but uncommon generosity is described as what? Cheerful, sacrificial, bounteous, and abundant. Verse 7 says, Each one of us has to... Has, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful giving flows from the place of the heart. This is the seed of the affection. Joyful, bountiful giving that God loves comes out of the heart of believers, and it is a wondrous thing when you get to participate in it. And I've seen it because I have been the object of the giving. I remember when my wife and I were raising money in order to adopt our son, Adoption, we had a cheap adoption by most standards. We, we, it was about eighteen dollars to $20,000 to do that adoption. My guess is adoptions now range between forty-five dollars and $55,000 at this point, especially if you want to adopt internationally. But our, we had a fairly cheap one. Well, we were down to the last $1,000, and a member of our church one day showed up with, they didn't tell us they were coming. They showed up with their entire family. They walked in our house, and they handed us a $1,000 check. And they were beaming. They were beaming. Because why? They love to give. They were delighted to give. Giving is a joyful experience. It is a cheerful thing. That's the heart that God longs for us to have. It's supposed to be sacrificial as well, though. What what was the life of the Macedonians like? These were people, they were called to give to the persecuted church back in Jerusalem, but the Macedonians actually were under persecution themselves. They'd had terrible affliction. These were people who were hurting. There was wars, economic collapse in the Macedonian area. The Romans had plundered them, and yet they gave and they gave and they gave. Remember when Jesus was walking through the temple, and he makes this an object lesson for his disciples, and he says, look around the temple and look at how people give. And the wealthy religious elite came, and they gave a good amount of money. But then he looks and points to an older woman who comes, a widow, and she gives simply two coins, and Jesus says, she has given more. She has given more. And you say, how, could she, how, how has she given more? She gave essentially two pennies because she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had. What we see is that the measure of giving is not the amount, but it's the amount of sacrifice. That's the measure. The measure of our giving is not the amount, ultimately the dollar amount that it is, but it's the amount of the sacrifice. The impoverished Macedonians gave out of, not of wealth, but they gave it sacrificially. It hurt. It hurt for them to give. In North America, we often give off the top, don't we? We skim the cream off the milk in order to give. Our giving doesn't really impact our lifestyle, and this is fitting, because often we don't like to bear burdens either. Jonathan Edwards, in preaching on Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, which says, bear one another's burdens, said this, people object that they can't afford to give and they can't afford to bear one another's burdens, but he said, if we're, ever, we're never going to give unless we can do it without burdening ourselves, then we will not give. To bear other people's burdens means you must take on a 
burden. You must feel the pain and the weight of it. When we normally say, I can't give, what we mean by that is, well, I can't afford to give, is it means I don't, I don't want to sacrifice things in order to give. But sacrificial giving is beautiful, for it becomes something that is bounteous as well, abundant and bounteous. These people, they, wasn't, they weren't simply giving out of poverty, but it seems that they actually gave in a bounteous measure. Chapter 8, verse 2, for in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty... So these realities, in a heart reality and an external reality, it recreated what? An overflow and wealth of generosity on their part. It was a bounteous gift. A bounteous gift. They gave liberally. They gave abundantly to those around them. So how do we do this? How do impoverished Christians like the Macedonians become Christians who give generously, who, who just throw money out, who make it rain for the other churches? How does an impoverished church do that? Well, they realize that they're rich. You see, the second thing we know is not only just the descriptions, but we also know that the, the riches of the uncommonly generous. They have riches. And what are those riches? God has already been generous to us. In verse 11 of chapter 9, it says this, that you will be enriched in every way. In every way. And you'll be enriched with what? Verse 8 says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. What is the currency in God's economy? The currency in God's economy that makes you rich is have you experienced the grace of God? That's the currency in God's kingdom. You are rich in every way, and you're especially rich in grace. And just think about it. God calls us to be bountiful, cheerful givers. And this is how God gives to us with his graciousness. He gives bountifully. God didn't tithe to us. He gave us his all. And 2 Corinthians 9, verse 9, do you see what it says? As it is written, he has distributed freely. Freely. He's reckless with his giving. How do you know God will provide for all your needs? Because he gave us the most valuable thing that he has to offer, his very son. And the grace of God is an abundant well. It goes deep. There's a retired and fairly well-known minister in a denomination, a guy named John Sartell, who was a preacher in Memphis for, for many years. And he had a church, a rather large church, a church of about, about 2,000 people. But one of the things he most loved to do was to do the membership interviews for children that were coming to profess faith. And so any child who wanted to join the church, they had to meet with him personally. And, and so he would sit there and he would hear their testimony and hear them profess their faith. And he would ask them questions. And he, was, he, had a, he had on his desk a candy jar. And in the candy jar, it had Snickers and Reese's and the, kind of, the best kind of candy you could kind of think of. And it wasn't just like, not the crappy candy they give out in Halloween, right? It wasn't like the mini-sized Snickers. It was like the full-size Snicker bars and the full-size bags of candy. And so after he had interviewed the kids and they had professed faith, he would go, hey, do you want to go get some candy out of the, cookie, out of the candy jar? And they would say, oh, yes. And he'd say, okay, there's one rule. You know, and they would ask the kids, you know, what, what's the rule? And the kids, you know, because they've been trained how to do this, uh, you only get one, the kids would say. Just take one. And he would say, no, 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 no. No, that's not the rule. The, you got the rule wrong. You can't take but one. You have to take as many as you can handle. 
And explaining why he did this as a practice, as a ministry, he said, I wanted the kids, these children to know that from the minute they entered God's family, as minute they professed faith, that what they experience in God the Father is one who is bounteous in grace. He is not stingy with his grace. Makes me think of another story. The kids in an orphanage, one particular orphanage, they would go to bed often hungry at night, or they would get hungry in the middle of the night, and they would long for food. And so it was a Catholic orphanage, and so the sisters... The sisters would, in, in the kind of the cafeteria they had, they would put two platters out. One platter was just, it was a, a platter of apples, of apples. And, and they, they had a sign there that said, a very stern sign that said, take an apple, but only one, God is watching. <laughs> but on the other side of the mess hall, they put out a platter of cookies and it had a, the same sign. You can take one, but God is, take only one because God is watching. But some child had gotten very, very wise to this. And they had taken that sign and they had flipped it upside down and they had written this, take a cookie. In fact, take all you want. God is watching the apples. <laughs> but our God, that's fine. God may be watching the apples so he can be abundantly gracious to you with the cookies of his grace. But does he, he gives bountifully, but he also gives cheerfully. He doesn't give, he's not reluctant in his gift. He didn't go, all right, I got I to gotta send Jesus. These people, I got to, no. He distributed freely. Luke 12, 42 says this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. It says it's the father's good pleasure. He delights to give you good gifts. Do you see the pleasure of your king? I want you to see that God is the ultimate cheerful giver. God gives out of his pleasure. Do you see the God of God's heart for you? God gives us to us, in fact, when we were poor. You know, in the Greco-Roman world, in that culture, you know, they considered it, they considered it foolish to give to impoverished people. They considered it foolish because they said the only, the only people you should give to are those who could actually repay you for your praise. Who could actually rise up and they would praise you. They would actually exalt your name more thoroughly in public. But that's not how God gives. You know, there's a parable that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 13. It's often the parable that we go to if we're going to talk about giving. It's called the, the parable of the treasure in the field. And here it says this in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now, what's the moral of the story? To the Christian, to the moral of the story is this. That the kingdom of God is worth selling everything. It's worth giving your life in order to be a part of the kingdom of God. That's often the, that's, that's the moral of the story we give to that, right? So we call people to be a part of, guess sell it all. Make Jesus your treasured possession. And that is, yes, good and true, but that is actually not the ultimate point. The point of the kingdom of, of heaven parable is this. It's not talking about you. This is talking about the nature of the kingdom, the wonder and the beauty of the kingdom. And do you see it? Jesus in this parable is showing that the kingdom is worthy of us giving up our all by showing us that the nature of the kingdom is worth getting because there is a wealthy man who gave up his wealth to win for himself this treasure. That's the moral, that's the moral of the story. That there was a wealthy man who said, I will sell all my possessions so that I might have this treasure. And what's the treasure? You are, you are, you are the treasure. That's the, that's the moral of the story. Now, who was it who gave up all his riches? 
Who gave it, who set it all aside in order to make you, to buy you as his treasure? We saw it very clearly in our passage this morning. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the gracious goodness of God. You see, you can't have been the person in that parable who is the rich one because the bad news of the Bible and the redemptive history is this. You're impoverished. You have no wealth of righteousness. You may be materially wealthy in this world, but you're impoverished in the economy of God's kingdom. But there is one who is wealthy, wealthy in righteousness, and he lays all these things aside so that he might win you back. Martin Luther said this, that a Christian is somebody who gets up every day and says, I'm rich, I'm rich, I've been adopted into the family of God. Do you realize this about yourself? And the Father loves to give good gifts. And when you understand this, that you see this, that this is how God views you, that you're his treasured possession, that he would give up his riches to make you his, that he might make you wealthy. This flips your world and how you view wealth upside down. You see, the kingdom of our God is constantly coming into this world and flipping our standards upside down. And so the last thing I want you to give you about the uncommonly generous is this, that they have an entirely different wealth principle. The wealth principles of the uncommonly generous, there's two of them I want to share with you this morning. The first is this. The first principle is this. Generosity is the new measure of wealth. Generosity in God's kingdom is the new measure of wealth. If the the rich say, if you got it, flaunt it. If you got it, flaunt it. Buy the jet, buy the yacht. Rich people have all sorts of ways of flaunting their wealth, don't they? What are, what are we rich in? We are rich in grace. In God's economy, what he pours into your bank is an economy of grace and righteousness. He gives us to you so that you may be enriched in every way. Look what it says in verses 8, 10, and 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Why? so that you having all sufficiency in all times may abound in every good work. If you got grace, how do you flaunt it? If you got the money, you use it. If you got the grace, you give it to other people. You extend it into good works. Verse 10, he who supplies all the seed of the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. Why does God give you his grace? So that you may abound in every good work. Why does God multiply your seed? So that you may have a harvest of righteousness. Why does he enrich you? So that you might be generous in every way. He's filled your bank account with grace and righteousness so that you might extend these things to other people. Have you flaunt it? Do you use it? You know who we should be like? You remember a couple years ago, there was the, I lo- these were my favorite commercials for a while, the Sprint commercials. They were, getting to try, they were trying to get people to sign up for Sprint. And in the commercial, there was a number of them. One where they're coming off a plane, a private jet. My favorite was this one. It's where a mom and a daughter, they're at a bidding auction. And they're bidding on a bejeweled cat figurine. And they're decked out in leopard print, which oddly enough, my daughter is decked out in this morning. And they look at the camera and they say, Sprint told us that they could cut our cell phone bill in half. And the daughter says, but we don't need to save money on our cell phone plan, do we, Mama. And mama says, no, we do not, baby. And the daughter responds, like daddy always says, money don't spend itself. And then the narrator says, some people are just stupid rich. That's you. Daddy always says, grace don't spend itself. You're that wealthy. 
that you would actually be like, go do something stupid with the grace of God. Go do something crazy, foolish, stupid, rich in grace. So go look like a fool to the world in your giving. And a lot of people say, well, how much are you talking about? How, how much, what are we saying? How much? Is it 10%? I know the 10% rule, right? Is that the 10%? Is that the generosity you want me to do? And say, yes, that's great. That's a great, that's a great guideline. The Old Testament gives us that. All the believers are required to give one-tenth of their income to God, to the poor, and otherwise. 10%. That's what we're called to give. Well, Jesus shows up in Luke, and he actually upholds the tithe. He says, yes, you should give to the poor, and you should give to the temple. And but Jesus says, there is more. Jesus says, yes, give your tithe to the church. Yes, provide money for the poor. But what I want is I want more than that. I want your, I want your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. God says, God does not simply want your treasure. He wants your heart. He wants it all. Therefore, if you're giving 10%, that does not mean you've actually given to him what he wants. You ask, how much should I give? Jesus says, give a tithe. But if you only give a tithe, that doesn't mean you've actually given me what I really want because I really want is you. See, it's, this is what changes in her giving is you no longer begin to think of it as something to mark it off the list, to fulfill a guideline. But when you give in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the standards of giving change. God didn't tithe his son and Jesus didn't tithe his blood he gave abundantly. Worldly wealth is not what makes you generous, but it's being rich in grace is what does. Who is the woman who displays wealth unlike known, who gives up more riches than just about anybody in the, in the, Old, in the New Testament? The woman who washes Jesus' feet, that she takes essentially what is her inheritance, her livelihood, this jar of perfume, and she breaks it at Jesus' feet. This is who God's people become. It's no longer the discussion about the 10% rule. It's about how much can I give. Or the story of a, a missionary and a businessman who were driving through uh, Korea. South Korea was not too long after the war. The businessman had been prominent in Philadelphia. And he was there doing some work. He was wanting to do some nonprofit work in Korea. And he was with this missionary going out to various villages. And, and, and Korea was incredibly poor at this point. And they were driving through a rural area. And, and they saw a man... They saw a man who was plowing his field, but instead of there being a donkey or an oxen that was pulling the plow, it was a child, a teenage boy was pulling the plow. And the man was both kind of appalled by this, upset by this. He's like, are they really this impoverished that they're having to take their children and use them almost as like slaves to pull their, their to plow their fields? The missionary said, you don't understand. That man and his son were the wealthy members of the church. And their church actually was seeking to raise money so they can build their first church in their village. And everybody had given as much as they possibly could, and they still didn't have all that they needed in order to have the funds in order to build this church and the resources. And this man and his son, were because they had an oxen, were actually considered the wealthy in the church. And so the man and the son made the decision, we will sell our oxen, so that we can build the church in our community. And therefore, this man and that son, what you see out there, that is a labor of love. That they delighted, they delight to be out there. That they gave up, they gave up what God had blessed them with. They considered it an honor to help build the church, to contribute in this way. This is the new wealth measurement. Are you wealthy? Flaunt it. Are you wealthy in grace? Let the world know it. Here's the second thing. The second principle, generosity is the new hot investment fund. 
Generosity is the new hot investment fund in God's economy. The point is this, whoever sows, it says in verse six, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. What does that mean? Paul's pointing to the picture of a farmer scattering seed. And the principle is here is clear here, right? The more you sow, the more seed you throw out, the greater of a harvest you get. Now the sower doesn't begrudge the seed by going, oh, do I, should I really throw this seed out? I don't know. It's not going to be good. You know, I, I could eat the seed. I could have this. I, I need this. No, he's happy to throw the seed out because what will it provide for him? It will provide for him a harvest. And in, in an agricultural culture, how do you get seed for the next harvest, this year's harvest? That you throw the seed out in order to plant and develop a harvest so that you can then even have a larger portion of seed next year to have an even greater harvest. This is the cyclical nature of how we are to do so and be generous in God's economy. We scatter the seed as abundantly as we possibly can. We throw all the seed out so that the harvest may be greater, so that we might be then blessed with a great harvest to then use that seed to sow even further. The more generous you are, what we are seeing here, is the more rich you become. And the more you can harvest even more in the future. When we are open-handed with others, our hands are also open to receive more blessings from God. That when you extend grace to others, you're open-handed to experience and extend, receive the grace of God to you. Remember, God is giving you the riches of grace. Now, this is important to understand because th this is an entirely new form of currency. It can tra traverse all sorts of different blessings. It doesn't simply come back to you in money. Here's, here's what I mean by this. Uh, I, I, I've met people who get upset because they've done incredible, gracious, sacrificial work for God, and yet they, they may hit a time of financial difficulty, and they come and they go, I thought God was going to bless me for doing all this sowing. I thought God was supposed to give me great blessings. I, I'm pouring out blessings to others. Where's the blessings coming to me? I remember talking to one particular adoptive parent a number of years ago at another church, and they, had, they were one of those people who had adopted like eight or nine kids, and they were very upset because there didn't seem to be financial blessings coming back to them. And what I thought in my own mind was, I wonder if, I wonder if they got curious about and began looking at their life. What if God's grace is coming to them in different ways? They expected it. We send out money and God sends money back. What if you send out money and God gives you something else back? That God gives you a different form of grace back to you. Let me illustrate it this way. That you can be, you can be rich in one thing and poor in another, that often when you extend one thing, God makes you rich in another. In the story of A Christmas Carol, old Scrooge, old Scrooge what? You see him in that, that lesson? Is he more or less rich in the, at the end of the book, in the end of the play? He actually has less money. Why? Because he has begun to give it away. But is he a more rich man? Absolutely. He is a man who lived his whole life outside of community. And now what has he been brought into? Joy and community amongst people. The grace of God flows through many currencies. He may provide you his grace through cash, check, charge, or Bitcoin, you name it. Or he may provide you back to you those blessings in lots of relationships, in children who love you, in sufferings that make you connect to him more deeply. These are the kind of gracious payments that God gives back to you. And you may get rich. You may get rich in joy, even if you're not financially rich anymore. Every study that is ever done, secular Christians, shows that the happiest people in the world are the most generous ones. You think the reason you're unhappy, it may be, you think maybe because you don't have the new shoes or the new iPhone, but no, what you really need is you need an enlarged heart. 
And you need increased capacity to experience the joy of Jesus. Now, you need to be less closed-handed, but you need to be more open-handed to experience the grace of God. This is a problem we have, don't we? We are in danger of losing our lives, even as Christians. There's something very distressing that happened a couple years ago. One August, about like two or three years ago, there was something tragic almost happened. A British Airlines flight filled with passengers was sitting on the tarmac in Vegas, and it caught on fire. Now, that was distressing in and of itself. Everyone got off just fine. But in the studies, what they found, the issue was not what made the most distress was not that the plane burst into flames. It was that they couldn't get the people to leave the plane without their luggage. That people were refusing to get off a plane that was burning because they so clung to their, pa- their, their baggage. That they were like, we, we gotta get our stuff. We gotta get our stuff before we can get off. You've heard the, the whole illustration of the monkey in the hand in the jar? How they used to catch the monkeys to eat them? What, they would put the food out. It would be just enough to have in the jar where they can get their hand in there. But they, if they, they closed their hand and tried to pull it out, they, could, they would sit there and they would be unwilling to release that food. And then they'd be able to come in and just whack them on the head. <laughs> and this is us. We are dying because of our materialism. And Jesus says, listen, would you open your hand? Would you let go of these things? It's the great gift I might have for you so that you may have life and life abundant. See if you can give so much that you're flooded by the grace of God. You see, this is the, t- the challenge that God actually gives in the Old Testament too. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, here's where we'll end. It says this, bring, into the f- bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, and see, you just see, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Bring the full tithes in the storehouse. Put God to the test. Would you, could you give in that way? Be like, God, I'm gonna give in such a way that it scares me and I'm gonna put you to the test and now I'm just looking to see how you're gonna bless me with your grace. Would be we got be that kind of givers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that the gospel of grace would make us people who give abundantly and joyously. That, Lord, we would be able to say that this is the greatest delight of our life, the greatest honor we have to participate in your ministry and your kingdom in this world. Lord, I, I pray that, uh, that folks in, in, in here, we are so, we are so adept that even if I attempted to try to call them to give by, because of the grace and mercy of God, what we hear is, do better. And so, gracious God, I pray where the evil one is trying to sow that seed right now, I pray that you would take that and instead replace it with a heart that sees the grace of God for us, that you would marinate us in your generosity to us, that we would not come out of here with a cloud over our heads or feeling like we've been bashed on the forehead But Lord, we would come out of here feeling the generosity of God for us, his wonderful mercy. And out of that, that we would give abundantly to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.